Welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lee. Hello. And we sat down yesterday, uh, coincidentally on the director's birthday, and watched Akira Kurosawa's 1960 film, The Bad Sleep Well. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, how are you going? <laughs> good, good. We're uh, post-Oscars. Yes, we are. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty pleased and chuffed with how it all went. It's kind of nice. Like, every couple of years, it's it's like one year on, one year off, it's seeming the Oscars, like, align. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what was my favourite film of the year is Wins Best Picture. Yes. Like, recently it was, like, Parasite, Nomadland, and now Everything Everywhere. And so. then the off years were... Coda. Coda. Uh, which I thought Power of, Power of the Dog was my favourite film yeah. that year and was yeah. hoping. Um, and Green Book, I don't even... Fucking no. <laughs> I think that year my favourite film wasn't even nominated, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like how you say your favourite film, not the best film. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's yeah. Because it's objective. Yes. <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but don't tell the internet that. Because <laughs> they, they have other opinions. <laughs> and if yeah. yours do not match. Yes. But mm. you celebrated the Oscars in style. Yes, I did. Yeah. You were. I mean, it was a lesser style this year than most years because it was um, a public holiday here in Australia or in Melbourne yeah. when it happened. But yeah, watching on the big screen with um, a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. It was good fun. So cool. Yeah. I just like, though, it's at that event, though, It um, by the end, by the time it gets to the end of the show, because it's like fucking four hours long. Um, and the champagne and the booze is flowing, and then by the end, people are just like, "Woo, boo, get off the stage!" <laughs> just like belligerent, yeah, letting their opinions know. And didn't you say someone dressed up? <laughs> yeah, well, there's always a best dressed award because you know you're supposed like the is invite says dress fancy? red carpet, oh, and yeah. no one fucking does. No one does. Yeah, but there's one <laughs> uh, this one woman dressed um like um Stephanie Shu in. I guess the character would be uh, Jobu Tabaki at that time when she's in the Elvis jumpsuit. Yeah, she even had the purple, half purple hair or something. Yep, and she had the cigarette in the mouth and then uh, threw confetti at people to like make their heads explode. Oh, kind of thing. fuck yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Having fun with it, yeah. Oh, mm. yeah. But um, I just remember my favourite part of the ceremony and the day was um, Lady Gaga doing her musical performance. Yeah. So, like, she walks the red carpet and you see her in the front row and she's all dolled up and in her dress and stuff. And then she does her musical performance. And I just leaned to my friend who was just like, is this Nirvana live and unplugged? What's it going on? like that. Yeah. It was. She'd wiped off all of her makeup, got changed into just a ratty t-shirt and jeans. Yeah. And for some reason, it was like an extreme close-up on her yeah. face. And she's like... I wrote this song in my basement and it's something very important to me. And it's just like, it's the fucking so- love song from Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, and it was like a stripped down acoustic version. She's like, hold my hand. And the uh. woman behind me just like yelled, shut up everyone. She's so brave. <laughs> This is how you watch the Oscars. Yeah, it just seriously fucking cracked me up so much. And it's only industry so, people. Yeah, so you she's can't. so brave. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, of course, finishes a number and then gets back into a dress, redoes all of her makeup. It's just, uh, sure, yeah. whatever. Yeah, I mean, I like that song, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, what did she win Oscar for? It was for um... Shallow. Shallow. Yeah. La 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 low. 
<laughs> yeah. I recently saw the best video. Uh, it just it just warmed my heart. So apparently, I think every year Jason Sudeikis does like a big charity event concerty thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's like this video online of like him. He's got like a beer can in his hand and stuff, and he comes up to the microphone. He's like, "Tell me something, girl." <laughs> <laughs> Starts doing shallow. Yeah. And then when it hits the part that where he's like for Lady Gaga, he does like in the movie. He's like, "Come on, come out here, come on." <laughs> And Will Forte comes yes! out doing the Lady Gaga part. Oh, fuck And yeah. it's just like, oh, this is just... And they like start like rubbing each other's faces. <laughs> like, this is just lovely. Speaking of best song. Oh, this yeah. Year, fuck yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. It was, if it didn't go to Natu Natu, like, what are we doing? I don't know if we talked about... Um... Do we call it RRR or Triple R? I think RRR. RRR, yeah. I, I don't think we talked about that in our wrap-up episode. No, no, I don't. I mean, maybe. It was so long ago now. That, but. If, if everything, everything, every, whatever the fuck it's called, is maximalism, this is also like maximalism. That, yeah. that, that movie, yeah. RRR, oh my God, it's like sensory overload, but I, it's just like everything, all possible things happening in it. I, the way I, I started describing it to people is it's kitchen sink filmmaking oh, we're just gonna throw everything, everything including the kitchen sink at it yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a romantic comedy it's an action it's a historical drama it's like... but natu natu we've oh, we've agreed yeah. we're going to a wedding media oh Bali, yeah and, we've <laughs> and i'm holding you to it i just we've... want to at least like the little foot swing yeah yeah like, yeah we're gonna learn the... the dance and i don't care if natu natu plays or not but no. you and i are gonna get on, drunk on the dance floor oh i can guarantee natu natu is <laughs> not being played at that wedding <laughs> but we're just gonna it's going to be like one of those things at the weddings where you're like, oh, there's Uncle Joe. Get out of his way. He's got <laughs> yeah. too many limbs. Get the fuck out of it. <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing is, like, I haven't really been drinking, so I'm going to be shit-faced yeah. at weddings. As legs are going to be swinging in people's faces. It's yeah. going to be great. But, I, yeah, I mean, the, the original song category, it was so... There was, like, the one missed opportunity, like, because they gave Diane Warren another nomination. She's, like, 17 nominated. It's just, like... Fuck off. No one's seen the movie. No one cares. Like, fuck off. <laughs> like, it was the missed opportunity of um, LCD Sound System with New Body Rumba from oh. White Noise. So it's like, that would have been awesome, like, if at the Oscars you had performing Natu Natu, David Byrne and Son Lux doing the song from Everything Everywhere, Lady Gaga, LCD Sound System. Like... That's awesome. Yeah, that's worth the however many hours you have to sit in the chair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like a free concert, but yeah. instead we had Diane Warren weird ballad, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'd so I don't even remember it, to yeah. be honest. It was like one of the first years, like, oh, there's no like Disney music nominated. Awesome. Thank God. Yeah. I'm so disappointed with Disney. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother topic. That's a <laughs> Yeah. I guess we should probably Oh, no, I, I'm trying to put off talking about this film for as long as we can. <laughs> uh, have you seen anything new or interesting lately? Um, so I watched An Irish Goodbye, which was the short oh, film yeah. uh, that won Best Short Film at hmm. the Oscars. Um, and I loved it. I loved it. What's it um, about? I don't so, know. So uh, two brothers... Uh, it starts with the death of their mother mm-hmm. and the priest is doing whatever he, the priest does. But then the two brothers have to fulfill a list that the mum left that she wished she did, like a bucket list. Yeah. So they decide to fill out, fill, do the list that, yeah. And uh, through doing that, the brothers uh, mend a broken, fractured relationship. Oh, lovely. Um, 
Really? Do you know what it is? It could be feature length. Mm. You know when something could totally be feature length, but you're just so happy it isn't? Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's like that solid. How long is it? Oh, like 20 minutes. It's not. Oh, okay. I can't remember, but it's quite short. It's like an episode of TV or something okay. like that. Yeah. But you're like, I got everything I could get from a whole big long film. You didn't overstay a, your welcome in a, in a condensed format, and I appreciate it. And the, 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 the is, Irish... Is this, in- uh, is this early shots fired at Bad Sleep Well? <laughs> And the, the, the Irish feckin', oh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the way they insult each other. Mm. Mm, chef's kiss. Hey, at least one Irish film won an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice. Yeah, I know. Mm. I really like Banshees of Issuance. I know. it's <sighs> So many good films this year. Well, last year. So mm. many good films. It's the thing of like, I'm, I'm happy Brendan Fraser won an Oscar. Like, mm. he, he gave a very good performance and I... Love that guy. Like, ha- so happy he's going to get the, you know, career resurrection he deserves. Yes. But, Bre- man, Colin Farrell should have won. Oh, he's so... he's He breaks your heart, It is, he? yeah. And, and, like, as much as I love Kihi Kwan as well, like, I... It's that thing. I just feel bad for Barry Keoghan. It's just like, if, yes. if in any other year, yeah. like... I know. It's so much like that... That this year, I'm like, I fucking love that film. And it's, I fucking love this film. And I fucking love that performance. And I fucking love this performance. Yeah, it's, it's that Sophie's and Choice. Yeah. Like, yeah. But um, I was talking to some friends, actually, about Brendan Fraser. And we were like, do you think he was playing up to the whole, I'm back, you forgot me, but I'm back, and I'm back on top, in his thank you speeches? Mm. Do you think it's a bit of a... He's playing into it. Oh yeah, for sure. He's ca- it's campaigning. Yeah, like he's playing the game. <laughs> like I for know. sure. And I feel like by the time he won his Oscar, he'd already done the tears and the this and mm. the that. And so it was nice in his Oscar speech. He mostly just thanked his family, which yes. was nice. And one so. of his co-stars, the I think she plays the carer. Oh, Hong, Ch- Hong Chow. I yeah. haven't I haven't actually seen the whale, so I don't know. But see, Hong Chow was nominated for supporting actress, but she should have been nominated for supporting actress for the menu. <laughs> Oh, yeah, she is in the menu. And she's awesome. She's the best part of the menu. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Ruthless. Mm. Um, you haven't seen... Yeah, you haven't seen The Whale yet, have you? No. What yeah. you, What have you seen recently? Uh, real... Re- uh, I've been watching a lot of older stuff, like, um, in anticipation, like, listeners, everyone probably knows I really love Blank Check, that podcast. Yeah. And they're doing their March Madness at the moment, and um, I'm rooting for Peter Weir to win. Ooh. I would love them to cover the filmography of Peter Weir. I and love also, like, Peter Weir. Australian, like, come on, of let's course. go for it. Um, so I was watching uh, Peter Weir films I had never seen. So I watched Fearless. Mm, I haven't seen that. Which is a 1993 movie uh, with Jeff Bridges and Isabella Rossellini and Rosie Perez. Ooh. Jeff Bridges plays a man who survives a plane crash and then kind of mentally breaks from it in the sense of. His personality completely shifts and he no longer fears death and it's like, because he thought he had died and now it, it's a really interesting little kind of psychological character drama. Yeah. Really solid. And you're like, 90s Jeff Bridges, you were the best. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but So that was solid, but I recently got to go, I went to a preview of uh, Air, Ben Affleck's new movie. Oh, really? That's Sorry. your Affleck reaction? Sorry. No, I'm not his biggest fan. Yeah, as an actor or as a director? What was the one he wasn't nominated for, but the film won? Argo. Argo. I really liked Argo. Yeah. Um, the Town fan? I haven't seen The Town. And I'm guessing you haven't seen uh, Gone Baby Gone? No. Okay. 
No. No. <laughs> just him. His face. His. Do you know when? You know what it is. It's when a actor is in the. Head like the tabloid head, shit, tabloid yeah. shit, and it just turns you off. But that's not his fault, I suppose. No, actually, he is very good in like people taking photos of him when he's like, like got his morning donuts coffee. and coffee and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's like fucking yeah. hell. I, I saw because the film premiered at South by Southwest, and as he was introducing it, like doing his speech or whatever, he's like, "I've been known to become a meme or two, to be part of a meme or two. Like nice. he, he's aware of he's it. He's acknowledging all, so, it. That's yeah. good. But, but um, yeah, air. yeah. So it's about um. It's him and Matt Damon making another movie together ah. again. And it's about uh, Nike in 1984. <gasps> yes. And the Air Jordans? Yes. And ah. the basketball division. Tr- and it's the, about the creation of Air Jordan. And I was initially like, oh, is it's it's the corniest as fuck trailer. And I'm like, is this movie really just going to be about how they courted Michael Jordan to you know, take their sponsorship deal and create the Air Jordan. Yep. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those great ones where it's like, oh, it takes place over like a week. Yeah. And it's just about this one meeting and hoping that it goes well. I'm like, I love oh, that. that's awesome. Yeah. I'm so in. Yeah. Um, I saw someone describe it online as it's like Argo meets Moneyball. To which I'm like, oh, so it's like crack for me. Yeah, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still gonna watch Moneyball. Uh, I'm gonna do this. I kind of want to do it as a Patreon, like yeah. show you a movie you've never seen. And... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, but uh, it's look, it's not amazing. Ah. Uh. It is like I think I my re- I was texting our friend Toby about it, and I said I think it's the best long lost dad movie from 1988 that you never saw. <laughs> It's, it's. I like, love that. Yeah, like it is cheesy and corny as fuck, but it's charming, like yeah. really charming. Yeah. Um, and in that '80s style of like the way it's kind of shot is very '80s. Um, they're cursing up a storm as well. I'm like, oh, look, speaking sneaks. A lot of smoking inside offices and yeah. stuff, and drinking at the at the office, yeah. like. Yeah, and um, but cheesy in the sense of literally, I kid you not, they play the Beverly Hills Cop music like four times. <laughs> but it's not even, it's not the do, 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 it's like the later part where it's like, boom, 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 boom. Like, you know, the laid back, like when Axel's sneaking in the room or something. <laughs> it's like, that's the score. It's so weird. Yeah, and a bit on the nose, do you think? Yeah, it's like yeah. literally everything 80s is jammed in there and it kind of makes it really corny, but... Fun. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll probably watch that because, yeah. yeah. MVP Jason Bateman. Hmm. He, he has a scene where he does a monologue and it's fucking great. I'm like, oh, good for you, Bateman. Mm. Like, I mean, because I don't watch Ozark, so I don't know that he's apparently an amazing actor. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. So. Yeah. But... I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. It's, it's a, I've, I've given it a solid three and a half. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Which is uh, coincidentally also the rating I gave uh, today's film, The Bad Sleep Well. Ah, three and a half. Three and a half, yeah. Because it's one where I, uh, generous three and a half, I think, to this, ex- like that extra half is because I really respect what it's doing. Yes. And while I might have an issue with how it does it, I yes. think the story and what it weaves is really interesting. Yes. I think you and I might be a bit on the same page mm. this. Uh, should I read the Criterion synopsis? A young executive hunts down his father's killer in director Akira Kurosawa's scathing The Bad Sleep Well. 
Continuing his legendary collaboration with actor Toshiro Mifune, Kurosawa combines elements of Hamlet and American film noir to chilling effect in exposing the corrupt boardrooms of post-war corporate Japan. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so initial <laughs> initial thoughts. What what would you? My question to you is, or just just a general thought, just because something's directed by someone who is, you know, Kurosawa. Yeah, a, a master. Yeah. yeah. Does that automatically mean that it's a masterpiece? No. Yeah. Fuck no. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like um, a little un- unsure about this one because I can see that there's craft in this in terms of the way it's filmed and um, the storyline and all that. And at the same time, did I enjoy it? Yeah. Not so much. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm 100% no. It's <laughs> like I, I – and you raise an interesting thing. Like the I fucking hate the people that are like – I love a director, so I automatically have to love everything they do. Like, the fanboy aspect. Like, a recent, like, first example coming on, like, Kevin Smith. Like, his fandom and, like, his fans. It's like, fuck it. No. Like, I watched Clerks 3. That thing is garbage. Yeah. Like. (laughs) I got as far as Clerks 2. Yeah. But, like, I mean, even people like Spielberg. Like, Spielberg made, like, Jurassic Park 2 and Ready Player 1. Like, he makes bad movies from yeah. time to time like you know uh, always is not good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1941 like you know he's made shit i didn't like the post at all like yeah. there are very few directors that have had like their entire filmography is almost untouchable do you think that's why tarantino is doing his 10 yes and that's that's all he'll do. Yeah. No, I, I, I know think creatively that is a... he's going to do other things, but yeah. I mean in terms of his filmography, he's very aware yeah. oh, that that happens. Yeah, that there is a narrative to his... Like, yeah, it all, and I think that's 100%. Because I would say Kurosawa is a almost... It comes before the title. It might not necessarily all the, all the time, but yeah. Kurosawa. Like, mm. you, well, I mean, this is the first film to actually be... Kurosawa Productions presents, which yeah. I'll get into shortly. When we do, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, I would say Scorsese is pretty much up there with, he's never made a bad film. Mm-hmm. Some of his films are just not as great as others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, they're not, but compared to your everyday he, film, they're still better. I, I don't think I've ever rated a uh, Scorsese film below three and a half out of five. Like... Yeah. It's just, like, you know, even bringing out the dead and, like, some of the ones that, like, Kundun, ones people don't consider yeah. as much as the others, like New York, New York. I'm like, no, these are all fucking fantastic. Like, yeah. And I suppose the other one that comes to mind is um, the Coen brothers. They've, they've got a great filmography. <laughs> With the exception of, like, Lady, the Lady Killers and Intolerable Cruelty, which kind of seemed like job for hiring ones. Yeah. But everything else is, like untouchable like yeah it takes a lot of restraint yeah to do the tarantino 10 yeah or whatever like because if if you're a creative person like um what's his name bloody ghibli oh um Um, miyazaki miyazaki like oh that's another filmography that's Pretty much perfect as he well. Keeps, he keeps trying to retire. Yeah, and, and he, he just, just can't. Yeah, <laughs> but that's—I find that interesting. It's like that he—he's an artist. There's like, no, this is my how I express myself. Whereas 
Tarantino doing the retirement thing is like, I've got a podcast, I've written yes. books, I'm, you know, he's wanting to explore other avenues of yes. creativity, which I am very excited for. Yeah. Like, I've read both of his books, they're fucking fantastic, like, it's, awesome. yeah. I think uh, Miyazaki realises that if he stops, he'll die. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, which is... And he obviously doesn't have other, I don't, well, he does comic well, I think um, he well, did he used to do manga back in yeah. the day. Like Nausicaa started off Nausicaa. as a manga, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, but there yeah. are so many filmmakers now that are like that. Where like Ridley Scott is like fucking eighty-seven or whatever, and and, and he needs to stop. And he's oh hey 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 hey. Have you uh, you know have you watched House of Gucci? I want to fly like a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> That movie's fucking amazing for all the wrong reasons. I want to watch it, but it's too fucking long. Uh, you, we should watch it with, like, having some drinks and, and yes. like, have a nice big fat Italian meal <laughs> yes. and some drinks because that movie is batshit crazy. I'm in. Like, Let's it is. do it. I'm watching it with you and no one else. Well, yeah, I, I love House of Gucci in the same way that I love Cats. Like, oh, it is. Hey, yes. Jared Leto should have won all the awards that year. It is Isn't amazing. He, is he Italian? No. Oh fuck! That's but he's bad. and he's been made up to look like fucking Wario. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's fucking amazing. Wario, um, that's so good. But I'm guessing, like you, don't, you're saying Ridley Scott needs to stop. Like, okay, those films are insane. But like, the last duel was fantastic. Speaking of Affleck and Damon, uh, that was yes. great. Um, I haven't seen it though. But he's yeah. in pre-production and he's casting his next film. Because uh, he's already shot and coming out later this year is Napoleon with Joaquin Phoenix. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw the things. Um, but he's in pre-production and casting his next film, Gladiator 2. Oh, yes, I saw that. What the fuck? And who's who's in it? Who's in it? Paul Mescal from Aftersun. Ah, yeah. And he has just cast Denzel Washington. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bring it on. Oh my what the God. fuck is that going to be? I cannot wait. <laughs> Denzel Washington in Gladiator 2. Yes. Why are you doing that, Denzel? Why? Because <laughs> he, lo- he loves Ridley. Does he? He loves both the Scott brothers. Mm. Like, he made, what, four, five movies with Tony Scott? And then he did um, American Gangster with Ridley, which was fucking great. Probably Ridley's last great movie. I would say, isn't Ridley a shit to work for? Uh no, I think if you if you get like people who work with him love him, but he does not. He seems like a guy that does not suffer fools gladly. <laughs> he has both of them are very working class British and ha- will happily tell you to fuck off. <laughs> love it, that's so, great. Yeah, I need to get back to doing that Scott Brothers podcast with Toby. It was yeah. fun. <laughs> How many films did you reckon you guys? We got, got through like six or seven. Yeah, but it was that problem. Like, yeah, we maybe need to restructure it in a different way. But yeah. And also just pinning him down for a schedule is... Oh, that man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Mm. But yes, okay, back to back to the bad sleep well. <laughs> if you can tell we're rambling on this one a bit. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. Where would you like to start with this one? Well, I mean, we op- the film opens... Oh, 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 do you want a little bit of context for the production, maybe? Sure. Um, so, basically, Kurosawa had been working with, uh, throughout his pretty much his entire career, Toho Studios, like the big, great studio there in Japan. But they were growing uh, more and more frustrated with him because he would go com- com majorly over budget. Yeah. And recently, uh, with The Hidden Fortress, he'd gone majorly over budget and um, 
they were really pissed off at him. And as a response, Kurosawa decided to create his own company, Kurosawa Productions. Mm. Um, and so basically he thought this is his first film coming from his first studio. Uh, he believed that it would be insulting to the audience to make a movie with the intention of only making money and decided that his next film should be about a subject of social significance. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Because it obviously is timely for him and it's what he was dealing with mm. in, an, in a way. Which kind of adds an extra wrinkle into the fact of like, oh, you're wanting to tackle something about like corporate greed? And oh, oh okay, is this like the, the wonderful thing of like um, pretty much every – is every film actually secretly about movie making? <laughs> is yeah. this – like a response to the issues that you were having with dealing with corporations and stuff. So. And how it affects your creativity and all yeah. that sort of thing. I you mean, feel like you're being thrown out a seven-story window. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard because I guess like money doesn't grow on trees. Yes. Well, I suppose in Hollywood or wherever mm. it does. But um, like you do have to stick to your budget. But at the same time, yeah, it... There's a responsibility at the same time. You can't just get yeah. yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Oh my god, I cannot wait for Megalopolis. Megalopolis. Yeah, that's his new film. Sounds like a dish. He sold his wineries. He's just like fuck it. I'm going to self finance a hundred million dollar film. Oh, I hope it works out for him. I, 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 I however it goes, I do not care. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. It's his like dream project. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Man. This is going to be great. When that guy commits. Yeah. Anyway. We're going to have so many good movies this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so the film opens with a wedding sequence. Uh, speaking of cop, similar to Coppola. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that actually when we were watching it, The Godfather. Mm. Apparently Coppola actually considers this one of his favorite films and that's why because he thinks, Fuck. I've got I've got a quote actually. Actually, from him, where, what is it? Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, he thought it was one of the best opening, th- most untouchable, great opening thirty minutes of a film ever, and that's why wow. he opened, decided to open. He could do that with The Godfather. I feel like such a philistine because I was like, let's get on with it. I know. I'm. I'm in the story. I'm in the same boat as you. When it's... I hear like great filmmakers praising the films that we watch in Criterion, but I haven't had that response. Yeah. I'm like, oh. But it's the same thing. Like we were saying at the beginning, art is totally subjective. True. Um, but what's what I like about the whole opening is, and I was kind of talking, we were chatting while watching the film about it is it's the stuff that I really love about Kurosawa when he plays with kind of that narrative structure and how he's informing the audience of what's going on. Yes. Um, instead of just kind of openly, blanketly being like, here's what's happening, here's our setup, we're kind of drip-fed the information through these reporters who are kind mm. of hanging around outside the wedding and yeah. kind of they unveil the information and kind of... it's. And that sort of plays out at the end of the film as well, mm. which we'll talk about. We are not necessarily the biggest fan of. Yeah, but I've got I've got a good um, review quote about the ending and all of that. When yeah. we get there, but you're right. It is an interesting way instead of just showing as you would expect in a regular film. Mm. It's you, you're given it in a weird scenario, a wedding. Yeah, and yeah, it's strip fed. It's explained to us. second hand yes yeah and kind of in that gossipy way of like you know because at the end of the day it is this kind of weird dramatic kind of days of our lives kind of story that's unfolding a little bit um albeit set in corporate espionage world but it's 
like you know, it's little subtle things like how the reporters are like down a flight of stairs, so the, and the, all the executives like everyone's just up higher than it's like that status stuff. Yeah. He's very good at kind of framing it in that way. That's one thing I love about this film is the the playing with power in the shot. Mm. And I know we, we see that a lot. I know especially in the prison scene coming up. Oh yeah. Where the Yeah. We'll get to it. But you see that whoever's in power in the shot is higher up. Yeah. And the people who are, you know, Lesser or lower. Mm. Yeah. It's the two things I fucking love about Kurosawa is the way that he constructs narrative and kind of plays with na- the form of yes. how he's presenting his story and then the way he frames his shots and in, in particular movement and things. He's incredible. Yes. Like, yeah. And like in a samurai movie? Yeah. Kills it. Yeah, yeah. But it's, the, weirdly enough, I would say that like my favourite Kurosawa film is... Oh, no, I'd flat out say, like, two two of my top, like, three uh, not-samurai ones. They're the modern-day kind of set ones. Yeah, which ones are those? Uh, High and Low is my favourite, and Ikaru, probably number three. Yeah. Yeah. Put Seven Samurai right in the middle, because come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, very popular, very, yeah. Yeah. I've got to be honest, I'm... I think we've done some Kurosawa in the past, haven't we? Yeah. Yojimbo, maybe? Yojimbo, Sanjuro. Like, <clears throat> by this point in the... Like, I'll... The ones I know we've done off the top of my head, it's Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, Sanjuro, Rashomon... Um, Ran? Ran. Uh, Redbeard. Uh, Lower Depths. But not all with me. No, no, no. Like, I know you definitely didn't watch Red Beard or Ran. Yeah, I didn't watch Ran, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, I think I probably... Hidden Fortress? Like, yeah, we've, we've done a lot. There's very... There's not much left Kurosawa-wise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling like you're the more Kurosawa expert than me. How many do you have, actually, Criterion DVDs at your house? Uh, let me see. I've got... Um... Um... I don't have them all, but... What have I got? Looking at the criterion side here, I've got Stray Dog, Ran, Ikaru, Bad Sleep Well, Drunken Angel, Yojimbo, Kagamusha, Rashomon, High and Low, Sanjuro, Throne of Blood, Hidden Fortress, Dreams. I have 14 of them. Wow. <laughs> See, at this table, you're the Kurosawa expert. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I have definitely seen at least 14 of his films. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Mm. And this would, I would, you know, it's, it's not the the worst I have seen, but it's not, it's again, like none of his films are bad, yeah, but it's, yeah. and this one, I just have, it's by no means a bad film and not, you know, at the bottom of the list, but it is one that there are some distinct problems or issues that I have with it, I suppose. Yes. And I know we, we're very, we, you and I t- already talked a lot about the ending, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but that's probably where mine is. But I know what you mean about him presenting the narrative in an interesting way. Mm. He's exploring different ways to tell the audience what they need to know. Yeah, instead of just bluntly presenting it to you, it's like, well, let's see how we can inventively or through a different means kind of get this information across. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, I guess the, assu- like the assumption is that that is engaging for an audience. Like, because they're being presented something in a new or non-traditional way, you'd theoretically be like, oh, I'm 
interested in how they're doing this and what's going on. Now, which film were you saying that he played with timeline and narrative? Oh, that's Rashomon. Yes. Um, from 1950? One of the first to do non-linear. Yeah, to the point of like now when people talk about when, hey, you see something and it's like presented to you in one way and then you cut back and it's a different perspective. Yes. And it's seen in a totally different way. That's called a Rashomon-esque style. Or like ah. Rashomon. Yeah, it's kind of taking its... It's become its own totemic thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love that. That it's it's being like Rashomon esque is like yeah. The, I haven't <laughs> seen Rashomon and you would say very effective then. Yeah, I'd probably if, Yeah. That's like top um that might be top three or top four for well, me. Actually. In order for it to become like you know, the word used to yeah. describe that way and it it's, must have been good. It's an efficient and economic film. I think it's like ninety minutes on the nose. Efficient and economic yeah. is not what I would use to describe this film. Yes, 100%. <laughs> and it's like... I know we're poo-pooing on it. But no, no. That, but... I think that's... I think <coughs> you're hitting the, the mark there. There's nothing wrong with this film. No. Maybe the pacing. The pacing, yeah. 100%. Like, because it, it's interesting how he's choosing to, like we were saying, open with the wedding sequence and how he's presenting the setup for the narrative for us yes. through the reporters. It just takes half an hour. Yeah. It and apparently when they were shooting the film, two weeks to shoot that sequence. Yeah. I'm like, it's it's fine, but it's not it's just Would you say the Godfather's wedding sequence is you know, I think uh, being a big fan of the Godfather films, mm. I can watch that and not not a minute of it is sort of wasted. But I also think that maybe the first time watching it I was like, What are we doing? Um, less so with the Godfather because it cuts out. It's not a hundred percent at the wedding reception. We go yeah. into his office and we have meetings, and you've got. But also, the characters are really like they have characters. They're defined, well-defined characters, and, and the... Japanese restricted kind of formal. Yeah, having it be these people that are watching from essentially over a fence, like with bad sleep well like with the reporters whereas with the godfather our kind of conduit into it all is michael bringing k as his date and being like hey outsider i am bringing you into this situation and i'm going to tell you who everyone is and what the relationship and what's going on she's our marty mcfly exactly whereas with the bad sleep well we just essentially placed outside of the wall with the reporters and are kind of having to listen in and be like huh so what's going on yeah yeah which it's interesting, but it's a little bit detaching, Yes, I suppose. 100%. Um, but then once we get up into it all with all the speeches and stuff happening, you know, presented with the alcoholic brother and then, you know, all of the little kind of interplay dynamics and then culminating with the cake reveal. Yes, that's with- when it becomes interesting. Love the cake reveal. Yeah. That's the point where you're just like, I'm sitting up again and I'm like, okay, huh. We got yep. a mystery on our hands here. Yes. <laughs> where where are we going to go with this? Yes, and I love yeah. Um, Nishi mm-hmm. is our groom, played by Dapper Dan himself, Shira <laughs> Mafuni. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yep. you're a big fan. I would let him have me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thoughts on <laughs> Mafuni. <laughs> Wonderful. Yep. <laughs> if he wanted. <laughs> And Yoshiko, and I don't know how much we want to get into 
<laughs> the, how much we laughed. Uh, it's just, we weren't laughing at the disability, obviously, but it was, it's just such, we were, I think we were, like, we were laughing at the fact that it's such a weird and specific <laughs> disability. <laughs> the fact that Yoshiko, um, the, the daughter of the vice president of the company, who Nishi's marrying to, you know, get in, like, yeah, essentially the plot of the movie. Yes. He's getting uh, marrying so he can get on, in on the inside to essentially bring down the every man within the higher-ups of this company that led to his father's death. Um, but <laughs> Yoshiko's <laughs> disability and, like, the whole thing of, like, why she's never been married and stuff is because she has a hideous deformity. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> but it's one leg is shorter than the other. And the brother um, is just, like... Tetsu is like, she's had a really hard life. Yeah, it's like she is a like her dad's a fucking billionaire. Like, no, yeah. she hasn't. Like, but it's just I th- the specificity of it being one leg. It's, it's like a com. It's like the, a comedy disability. Yes, and like the way. I mean, I, apologies if any listener has this affliction. Like, I'm sure it fucking would suck, but it just did. It just made us chuckle. I think as well how much it's thrusted in our face yeah. on the screen. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Apparently to um, achieve the effect of her limp, she wore like uneven shoes and a knee brace and things to like get a limp going. But yeah. She would have had some fucked up posture or like some yeah. side effects maybe, but yeah. But we're just making like bad jokes. Like, you know, if she was trying to run after Nishi, she'd just <laughs> run in a circle. <laughs> you know, just bad, dumb dad jokes. So that's, um, yeah. But... It, it's sort of, I mean, after this, it's, we kind of, after the wedding ceremony and, you know, we're presented with the cake and it's like, here is the mystery and, you know, what's going to kind of unfold. And then after that, things get moving pretty quickly all yes. of a sudden with, um you know, the police investigation kind of into all this corruption and the dealings between the two companies and the embezzlement. And we're presented, it's like a big time kind of jump almost where people have been arrested and they're being interrogated, but all the executives are keeping quiet and they're not going to talk, which is like one of the best sequences when they realize they have arrested one of the guys on the wrong charge and he, they need to get him on embezzling instead. And so they release him. And then when he's he's so happy, he's so happy. He's outside the prison and immediately gets (laughs) arrested, which in, it's such a fucking fantastic. And it's all done in one shot as well, where he confers with his lawyer. Who's just like, yeah, we thought this was going to have to happen. And the advice that the, um, vice presidents and the higher ups. It's like you see this through to the bitter end. Yes. So it's like, yeah, you fucking know what you got to do. Yeah, and he jumps under a bus. <laughs> this it. This whole. I don't know if this would work in a Western scenario. The the suicide the kamikaze aspect aspect of it, it all. It's it's that the honor and things and like the yeah. The rank. I, I don't think it would work in a Western. Like well, if if this was set in America. I mean, nineteen sixty could be something different, but like. Because I was wanting to kind of chat and think about, like, what are some other great classic kind of corporate set films that kind of deal with similar issues and immediately go to Wall Street? Yeah. Like, no one, like, what happens in Wall Street is Bud Fox doesn't kill himself on, at, you know, Gordon Gecko. He fucking turns him in. Like, mm. he turns on him and, you know, gives evidence and fucking sends Gordon to jail. Like, and for me- spoiler for a fucking 40 year old movie. <laughs> My thought is we were saying in this scene is that the 
the concept of a Japanese prison at this time is way worse than killing yourself, I'm guessing. I would assume so, but it's like, I is think... It it's that the, or is it the honour? I think it's more the honour as well, like that, that thing of... Because that's where this film's interesting, because yes. it plays with that yes. in the next few scenes, mm. where it's like, is it really worth your life? Yeah. Um, is, is protecting these people who don't give a fuck about you... Yeah. Worth your life. And the insane thing and that loyalty and that honour to the company and to these men yeah. with, like, the blind understanding that, oh, no, they care about me. It's like, no, they fucking don't. Yeah. And it's only when Wada, who, I mean, awesomely was going to jump into a fucking volcano. So good. <laughs> but also... If you're going to kill yourself, that's a way to do it. <laughs> but also, Nishi... Is just like just there. Yeah, I'm. I'm fantastic. Look, I'm assuming he followed him, whatever. But the way that the shots are constructed, yeah. it's like he just happened to be at the right volcano. <laughs> <laughs> he just right, knew this yeah. guy would pick a volcano. Right time, right place. Yeah. Yep. Hey, what? What are you doing here? <laughs> but yeah, um, it, it's basically it's, not, and then after you know he meets water at the volcano, and it's just like. You think he, we're led to believe as the audience that he has killed himself. Yes. He did go through and jump into the volcano like a boss. Yeah. And, um, you know, then we have his funeral, but then we cut to Nishi and Wada in a car observing yes. the funeral, which is great. Yes. I love this scene. It, yeah, it could be my favorite, I think. Um, but yeah, like, I, I suppose as a, a person in, nine, in 2023, uh, the whole. I, I I think of it as kamikaze, like dying for the cause or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, it's Which I so guess, I, you know, that's kind of very important, like post-war Japan, I guess. Like, yeah. you know, following through that older generation of these are the ideals. It's yeah. very interesting, yeah. It is interesting, but it's also like, in no. my mind, I'm like, no. At no point is that worth no. that. <laughs> and I guess this next scene where he is watching the funeral, it shows... What happens when that when people do go through with that sort of thing? And it's his, heartbreaking for his, him. His family are devastated. Mm. Um, but not just that. And then they, he, Nishi plays him the tape of like, I went and hung out with those guys and hit a tape recorder and this is what they were fucking doing yes. the night that you killed yourself. Yes. Like, this is what they think of you. Yeah. They, and it is not worth it. No. It is not worth it. And so he, it, I love that's how he gets him on board. And it's mm. just like, just to get it going, we just need one. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And we're going to make him a fucking ghost. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Mm. This is, to me, like, it's like, this is a great setup. And it's still that thing of we're not 100% sure why Nishi is doing this. At this moment, we don't know. No. And it's, you know, basically, you get that he is like, these these guys are bad men. We need to bring them down. We need, like, you know, fuck these guys. And you're like, okay. Yeah. This is and, his father-in-law he's talking about. Okay, this is interesting. But at this point, you're like, yeah, all corporate guys are, right? Yeah. You don't realise his personal motivation. Yeah. And then they basically, all throughout this next little section, it's basically we want to take, get more people on board. And he, they basically just spend the next 20 minutes, half an hour, psychologically destroying a man. <laughs> yes. And this section is chef's kiss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. There's some really interesting um, reveal shots. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to remember, but I feel like there's a car. Uh, so we're, we're following... Uh, Surai. Shirai. And 
it is Nishi and Wada trying to send him insane. Yeah. And it's fab. Yes. I love it. Um, Wada... The use of shadows. And this is where it gets very film noir-y in this yes. section. Um, I believe Wada is outside Shirai's house mm-hmm. and the car lights him up. But as the car passes, he goes into darkness and Shirai's overcome. It's with... like, I just saw a fucking ghost <laughs> of a man that I like essentially drove to suicide. Like, oh, yeah. fuck, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then so just good. that slow descent into madness that they just keep fucking with him on. Yes. To the point of like, they don't, they mean to fuck him up psychologically, but I don't, it went too far. Yes. And I think it kind of messes with their plan a little bit because the ultimate payoff is, hey, you're slowly going to go insane. You're going, you're losing your mind. The bosses think you're going to give something away. So they've hired an assassin to come kill you. Hey, we're going to reveal to you, he's a fucking assassin. Just, just try, we're going to save you from it. And, be like, that's what's going on, dude. Do you want to be working with these guys? Uh, don't mind the guy you think is a ghost in the backseat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just snaps him. He yes. just It breaks him. Yes. And was his, was Nishi's uh, plan to get him as another water, like another accomplice? That's what I assumed. Yeah. 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 And it's when they take him back to the office and the seventh floor window, and that's when Nishi kind of finally reveals this is who I really am, this is why I'm doing all of this, is because my father was the guy that you guys blamed everything on and got convinced to kill himself and jump out the window. Fuck you, I'm here for revenge. And I love it's like, not only is that the case, but this is what it would have felt like. Here, I'm going to dangle you out yeah. the window. Um, I'm going to force you to drink poison, yeah. which is actually just whiskey. But that's the thing of like shoving the poison down, so just like that guy's brain just went... <laughs> like it's gone <laughs> and I think you have to kind of go with the age of this film and okay mm. that's what we're doing but like part of me in this day and age was like huh? like are we okay we're accepting that he's just lost his mind okay yeah, yeah. Um, but we haven't mentioned anything about Hamlet yet you mentioned that it was based yeah it's like it, again like a lot of Kurosawa stuff this is loosely based off of Shakespeare in that same way that you know Rand was King Lear uh, Throne of Blood's Macbeth um yeah so this is Hamlet essentially the, yeah um Yoshiko is Ophelia yeah yeah it, it's yeah it's loose it's loose like it's interesting yeah that he takes so much inspiration from Shakespeare being he loves the classics, I guess. <laughs> but to me, this is the part of the film where things kind of dip. After this scene, yes. Yeah, which is a bummer because this, to me, is like what's interesting about... Like, this is the section where the film should get really interesting and instead what ends up kind of happening is it kind of just drags for like a good 40 minutes of just... Never really, at least for me, satisfyingly exploring what has been set up. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm going to quote from um, the uh, Chuck Stevens essay, actually, in the Criterion uh, booklet. Was it the Chuck Stevens one? Yeah. Sorry, there are two in here. Um... Yes, 
It, yeah, so it basically, now when we're in this part of the film, it's the moral question at the heart of the film is this. Do Nishi's ends, exposing the evil uh, that the company of men do, justify his means? His merciless exploitation of uh, Iwabuchi's daughter, the hapless handicapped Yoshiko, come on, she's not that hapless, yeah. uh, warranted to avenge his father's death and strike a blow against the in- inter- institutionalization, institutionalized corruption. Um, so that's it. Like, this is now the next 40 minutes of the film is exploring. We know who this guy is, what he's doing and how and why he's doing it. But the character himself is starting to, he has inadvertently fallen in love with the woman, Yoshiko, and is starting to question, Hey, is what I'm doing? Does the ends justify the means? And I don't, like, that's established, but not really explored. And you're saying, for you, that's the most interesting Yeah, I would love for that to happen, because it's, like, been such a weird, bizarre revenge story up until this point, and then we have the reveal of who's doing the vengeance, what, like, the how and why. Mm. But at that same instance, we're throwing a spanner in the works. Mm. And let's explore that that whole moral debate of... Is vengeance worthwhile if it destroys the lives of other people? Are you just perpetuating a cycle that was inflicted upon you? Yes. And the film, I don't think, explores that to the full extent. It just kind of more revels in its standard narrative plot that it's going for with Nishi, and then will periodically have like Nishi climb a pile of rubble and his friend be like, huh, he really does like the girl. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, talk on that, please. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find that uh, Kurosawa likes to have a secondary or third character explain the plot instead of getting uh, the main character in some to films, express yeah. the plot? Yeah, which is interesting because Mifune is like, Movie star upon movie star, but I don't know if it's necessarily, like, the persona aspect of him being, like... Like, Tom Cruise, like, I'm a robot man. Like, I can't actually (laughs) fucking... Human. I can't human. (laughs) (laughs) And so, therefore, like, no, why would... that's My character's not a pussy. Why would he do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just obviously joking. (laughs) It's not that, but... it's, It's why I don't find the second half of this film as satisfying as I... Hope it could be. The setup was great. Yep. The whole narrative idea is great. You know, the bringing down a corporation from the inside by hilariously psychologically breaking people and starving them and kidnapping. It's fun. Um, But yeah, but then it presents the moral quandary of it all, but doesn't. I mean, it it, it does a little, but it doesn't. Yeah, I know what you mean. You're like, oh... He loves her. Yeah. Cool. But you're not you're not suffering through it with him. Yeah, and then when we get the scene where Wada they think Wada's escaped or whatever, but then no, he just went and he brought Yoshiko and he's she's he brought her there to be like, look, this dude loves you actually, and this is why he's doing what he's doing. It's that kind of basically the annoying thing for me is it's not Nishi taking responsibility for his own actions. It, he's having to deal with his actions by Wada being like, yeah, you should probably, I'll intervene and bring if her here. Really so you really loved her that much. You would have gone to, yes. I know you can't go to get her, or you would have sent Wada to go get her. You would have done something. But fuck off, Wada's supposed to be dead. He shouldn't be walking around, <laughs> let alone going to the boss's house. Yeah. Like, it's, 
Yeah. Like, but also, like, we're told. We're never shown things. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, I, Nishi, he, and he has that wonderful scene where he sits down and spells it all out for Yoshiko, and it's like, hey, that's great. But it's kind of almost, I just wish he took responsibility and was that character that kind of wanted that, brought about that conclusion for himself rather than being presented with the option of that and deciding to do it. Mm, I know what you mean. Yeah. And then after all of this is when, you know, it just gets even more unsatisfying. Are you talking about the ending? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The ending ending, yeah. You mentioned another film that does this ending where we don't see something. Perfectly. Yes. We don't see what happens. We're told what happens. Afterwards, yes, and what with, with, with the odd little flashback and like interspersed bit of footage as well. But Ikaru, um, basically, the third act of that film is oh, our character's dead, and we're now at his funeral, and people are going to talk about what happened over the last few months, and through that, reveal to us, the audience, the most beautiful fucking story. And it makes you me weep every time I see it, and it's <laughs> fucking amazing. And the final shot is just chef's kiss. Is Ikaru pre or post? Pre. Okay, so he's yeah. done this before. Yeah, Ikaru's and, an, well. and and Ikaru is starring um, uh, Nishi. Uh, no, oh no, not Nishi. Um, dude, why am I fucking uh, blanking? Uh, Takashi Shimura, who is the guy that they kidnap and starve. Yes. yes. <laughs> he, he's also a legendary Kurosawa. He acted in like maybe 15, 20 Kurosawa films as well. He's like the main, the older generation samurai who in Seven Samurai, like the main yeah. boss guy. The Leonardo of the Ninja Turtles, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, it's basically post this, you know, uh, it's just kind of wraps itself up in a the bad guy wins kind yes. of way. Um, which I'm not opposed to. I like when the bad guy wins because you're not expecting he it. He wins, but he loses, which he does is lose, great. Yeah. But it's, I guess the thing of like why it goes this way is it's realistic. It's kind of like, let's be honest, that's kind of what would fucking what would happen. happen. Yeah. yeah. The people with money and power will kill you and get their way. Yes. <laughs> like it's, it's a very bleak and I kind of think pointed way. Kurosawa was doing that on purpose to be like, this is what these motherfuckers do. Yes. Like... It's, yeah. I'm not giving you a happy ending because this corp, like, you know, that's not life, I guess. I'm assuming at this point, if you're listening to this podcast, you've watched the film. I would, as- I would assume or hope, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> what we're talking about is Nishi gets killed, Wada gets killed. And uh, n- yes, yes, because yes. yeah. they, they're like, he's already dead, so we can easily kill him. So, But... but- that's what I mean. Like, we're like, I think that happened. <laughs> but it's done in such a brutal way where the dad figures out that Yoshiko has gone to visit with Nishi yes. and uh, drugs her. Yes. And gets her to give the information of where he is. So he, but, and by doing, and the way he gets her to give the information is by convincing her that her brother has gone to kill him and followed her. Mm. So he's incorporating both his children into his fucked up, evil plan uh, goes to the location and then you know we don't know what happens because Yoshiko who we're kind of with at this point passes out and then we find the brother waking her up hey let's go and it's like oh there's a wrecked car on the train line oh that's weird and then 
we yeah it's basically what you said <laughs> the dad goes there frees uh Takeshi Shimura and the two of them drug and kill Nishi essentially and Wada and or they inject Nishi with grain alcohol and put him in his car on the train track so it'll look like he drunk drivingly yeah yeah I'm guessing great alcohol is just like vodka or something like that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm imagining so injecting I'm... it into your veins is probably bad. <laughs> <laughs> if the train didn't kill him, then... <laughs> it's a very unsatisfying ending. Yes. Because what you're saying isn't shown to us, it's told to us by the original Nishi. Yes. Um, and I... Yes, Kurosawa's uh, reason for doing this is that we get to experience the reaction of the ones closest to Nishi rather than we as an audience experiencing Nishi, this happening to him, we're experiencing it through his loved ones. Yeah, and I think if we had watched all of that happen and followed kind of Nishi and all of a sudden the dad's there and the dad overpowers him and, like, knocks him out and kills him, we'd just be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, whereas being presented it in this way, we're kind of a little bit more accepting of that narrative. And like you said, it's more impactful for us seeing the reflect, like how it affects the, the others around him. Do you think there's Because any- that, that other way, we're just seeing the dad win. Yeah. And that's not, that's way less satisfying, even, yeah. even more so than what happens. So. Do you think there's an element of, you know, conspiracy, cover-ups, corporations, like, is that sort of influencing the choice of doing it this way? I think so. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and then it is basically at the end of the film, it's, you know, the the dad thinks, you know, the business, what, uh, Iwabuchi thinks he's, you know, gotten away scot-free with it all. And ha ha ha! Uh, he did a wonderful little laugh. Wonderful laugh. Yeah, and goes into his office where reveal your two kids are there, and at least the silver lining is you're you've been revealed to be an absolute monster to your children, and they now disown you. Yes. So you at least are culpable for your actions and are being punished for your actions if not in the eyes of the law, if at least morally and, you know, you can have shit like... Like, your kids disowned you now, yeah. dude, and know how You're terrible gonna you are. You're going to be alone. And then it, you know, gets the phone call. F- and then I do love the getting the phone call from his boss, which then again signifies up to the audience, like, oh, yeah, he's not the guy running this. Like, we thought he's the big bad. It's like, no, he's just a cog in the... We- like, yes. in the spot. Like, you know, he's just a part of this. It's this bigger system that we didn't even get to see. Yeah. And that's, you know, very scathing Kurosawa. Like, mm. this is what we do. Mm. Yeah. It's it's solid. It just... Mm. I think, again, like we're saying, it hits, it hits the points, it does all that, but it's the pacing. Mm. And I don't know if that's just... It's showing its age. Or if it's actually just the pacing. Yeah. It is, like, I hate... You know, there's the great thing of no film is too long. No good film is too long and no bad film is too short. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. this, it, it is just the pacing. Like, this didn't need to, I think, efficiently tell the story be 150 minutes. Like, two and a half hours. It, be indulgent. Especially when it doesn't, I mean, again, it's personal taste here. When it doesn't delve in and explore the themes that it sets up that I think it could have done better. Mm -hmm. If it had taken that time, 
that kind of bloated excess time and done something with it, mm-hmm. I would have loved it. Yeah. But it just presents the themes for us to explore, which is fine, but it's I want to see my characters explore it at the same yes. time. Yeah. I think we're in the greens. Yeah. That. So three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> in saying that, I really love the um, cover. It's of great, this. isn't it? So good. The Criterion Collection DVD cover is, yeah, love it. Um, I, I teased before that I had a review. Um, we've we've brought up some of this stuff before, but uh, Bowsley Crothers <laughs> for New York Times in 1963. Uh, he said, it's an aggressive and chilling drama of modern day Japan, uh, which gives to an ordinary tale of greed and murderous contentions a certain basic philosophical tone. Uh, he praises, and then editorializing, he praises Kurosawa, blah, 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 by stating uh, what amounts to cliches in this type of strongram fiction is a way, uh, in a way that makes these uh, them seem fresh and fully, fully of sardonic humor. I think that's supposed to say full of sardonic humor, as though we had never seen anything like this before. Interesting enough. But then uh, AV Club, in a more uh, recent review in two, from 2006, it's an assured muscular Kurosawa film that is all the more disappointing when a shapeless, anticlimactic, but probably inevitable ending does it in. And that's the thing. Like, it, I think that use of the word inevitable, like, it's kind of the only way this film could end in, you know. But it's just a fucking bummer. Yeah. Remember at one point I said to you, Ashiko says, like, let's reconcile this. We can reconcile this. I'm like, imagine that was actually the ending. Yeah. And everyone's fine and happy. It's like, what? No. That would never happen. Yeah. But yeah. And again, it is just a Kurosawa hammering home that point of this is what, like, you know, the corporate greed and this is, you know, reaping what it's so, like, yeah. They're just going to keep getting away with it and yada, yada. But. Yeah, you're right. The Criterion design is great. <laughs> uh, uh, did you have any final thoughts, or do you want to hear a little bit of trivia? Uh, so the film was nominated for the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival in 1961. Uh, it lost to another Criterion film, La Notte. Um, the idea of the for the film came from Kurosawa's nephew, uh, who wanted uh, to become a scriptwriter, and he kept giving his uncle's script uh, his uncle's scripts to read. Uh, Kurosawa liked it and made suggestions to which uh, his nephew spent six months rewriting the script under the title Bad Men's Prosperity. Uh, Mm. Kurosawa, along with several others, reworked it even more into the final version of what it ended up becoming. Uh, His nephew did not get a screenwriting credit. That's (laughs) rough. Uh, But I think they changed it enough that, yeah. Um, I've pretty much ended up bringing up most of it, except for, uh, Masaru Sota, uh, Sato, sorry, who was the composer for the movie, stated that his musical score for the film was his own interpretation of a big evil corporation, wo- corporate world, through the phrase we had already heard relating to the corporate world, it's a jungle out there, uh, which inspired him to create a jungle-like atmosphere in the music for the film. Actually, we didn't talk about the whistling slash uh, score. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was interesting how he kind of drip feeds the main theme music in there through Mafuni whistling and then... We, we said that uh, anyone who whistles is an automatic psycho. <laughs> we had that discussion, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> he just needed to drink a glass of straight milk and then he'd be full psycho. <laughs> this is this was Lee's theory that anyone who whistles is a psychopath and anyone that just drinks milk. Just a straight plain glass of milk. Yes, not not in a cappuccino, not a chocolate milk, a yeah. straight glass of milk. A nice tall frosty glass of milk. <laughs> and I was like Instant psycho. And yeah, I was like, you know what? You're right. Colonel Hans Lander and Glorious Bastards, psycho. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Anton yeah. Chagour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what about um um Oh. Ash, the roboted alien, full of milk when he explodes. <laughs> Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah, Alex. Yeah, they, yeah. that's all they do is drink milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're onto something. <laughs> um, did you have a tagline for this film? Um, I just, I had several, which I've crossed out. I know. I was I've, what, yeah. <laughs> I've stolen one. It's a jungle out there. Oh, I nice. Stole one as you said it. Nice. Uh, mine was Hell Hath No Fury Like a Corporation Scorned, mm. which I honestly think I might have used for something else, for either, like not corporation. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm sure I've used it before, but <laughs> this is a tough one anyway. So, uh, But I'll talk about the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, it's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc DVD, and it comes with a 33-minute documentary on the making of The Bad Sleep Well, original theatrical trailer, and the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. So not not, not a lot for this one. Mm. But, yeah, why not? Uh, but I guess that'll wrap us up for Kurosawa's The Bad Sleep Well, an okay movie. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly better than average. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be back again in a fortnight's time with a John Ford movie. You saw The Fablemans, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. At the end, uh, David Lynch playing John Ford. Ah. So we're going to have a John Ford movie uh, from 1939, Young Mr. Lincoln, <laughs> starring Henry Fonda as Abraham Lincoln. Is it a, is it a musical? No. I don't know. It just no. sounds like a musical. I just, I've never seen it, but I really hope it ends with, now to relax for a lovely night at the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> and every shot should be framed with the, what is it? The... The stovepipe hat? Or no, no, you... no. Um, the scenery. Oh, the, the, the horizon, horizon line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be watching for that. It's boring as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we'll be back in Fortnite's time for that one. But in the meantime, uh, we'd love to hear from you all, um, unless you have some weird critical comments that are bizarre to say, uh, in which case, if you do, uh, you can send those on a self-addressed envelope to 178 Kiss My Ass Avenue. Yeah! <laughs> That's going to specifically one very fucking obnoxious Instagram comment. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, just petty weirdness. Uh, but yeah, we... Do love hearing from you guys, unless you're being wheelie sexist and horrible. <laughs> so you can send us uh, an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. We're both on Letterboxd. All that shit's in the episode description. Uh, and follow us on Patreon. Yes. Where by the time this episode is out, we will have just put out our Everything Everywhere All at Once episode. Yes. If we're still doing I'm that. I'm very excited yeah. for it. Mm. I just need to watch and just... If there's so much to talk <laughs> yeah. about. Well, that's why I'm almost tempted to be like, fuck it, let's just put it on and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in. Let's do it. Yep. Um, but after that, I, yeah, we got so many different directions we could go. I'm excited. Yeah, because we did The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which was super fun, like you watching a movie you'd never seen 
and kind of debate doing an episode on it yes. and whether or not we do a few more of those, like something I've never well, seen and you've never seen. Well, or, Chris, you've never seen, like, what have you never seen? Yeah. <laughs> I honestly... You've never uh, seen nothing. You know what? I'm honestly not sure if I've ever seen The Sound of Music. <gasps> oh. Like, I've been thinking about that one later. I'm like, have I actually seen that? I love The Sound of Music. Yeah, so something like that, maybe. Um, I don't know. Would our audience be interested in The Sound of Music, though? Uh, who knows? I'm interested yeah. in The Sound of Music. Or there's the other thing that I threw out, uh, which was what I was calling um, PMPs, uh, Pretty Much Perfect Movies. Yes. Yeah. They're so easy to talk about. That's what I mean. Like, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is a PMP. Like, it's pretty much perfect. Yeah. But then, you know, you could go into ones like Back to the Future. Like, you know, there's so yes. much that are... Yes. Pretty much perfect movies and yes, just PMPs. Love easy, it. easy to sit and watch and talk about. But mm. all of that shit's happening over on the Patreon. So, um, you know, if you want to throw us a few shekels to uh, help us kind of, you know, keep the lights on and pay the cost to get this thing out there, it'd always be appreciated. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, thank you for listening. Uh, we meandered a bit in this one. It's fine. <laughs> it's a, like we said, it's a fine enough movie, The Bad Sleep Well. <laughs> but uh, for this episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. Thank you.